Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Gee, I wish I were back in the army. No? Wrong month? Does it have to be December to watch White Christmas? Let's take a little vote. You're sinning if you watch White Christmas outside of the month of December. Hands up. 12 months a year. 12 months a year is totally fair game. Hands up. Ah, a bunch of you didn't vote. Hmm. Well, this week I was dreaming of a white Christmas, and so I had this movie on the mind. If you haven't seen White Christmas, or if you don't recall, truly the foundation of the plot is two relationships. First is two war buddies. One saved the other's life during a German air raid over their camp in France. The second relationship is that these guys' fierce affection for and loyalty to their general. Their general, after the war, sinks his entire life savings into a ski resort up in Vermont, but there's no snow that year, and they have made careers as successful entertainers traveling up and down the eastern seaboard, and they go, man, we should take the show up to Vermont so people will come and it'll help the general. It'll save his ski lodge. The whole storyline would not work if these guys didn't have fierce commitment to each other and fierce commitment to the same general. And I'm here to tell you today that that's the church. This is something that has been the church for 2,000 years and it will be the church for however long the Lord waits before he comes back. Any and every healthy church, there's gotta be a deep commitment to relationships between siblings in Christ and a deep commitment vertically to Christ. And it's one of our core values as a church. Note takers, authentic relationship with God and each other, it must not ever change. When God first pulled us together as a family in 1903, there was a pursuit of authentic relationships that people would know their creator and be known by each other. And if the Lord allows, it will still be the case a long time from now. Take a look at what Jesus said in John 15. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Anybody feel humbled yet? Was that a little bit of an exclusive truth claim? Does Jesus think he's bigger than you? Is Jesus arrogant by saying that he's bigger than you? This is important to ask these questions. Is a father bigger than his two-year-old? Okay, if it's true, it's not arrogant, right? If he uses his power, his strength, his position to love, serve, and protect, right? If he is the source of life and he doesn't tell us, he's a jerk, okay? I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and we don't even have verb for that, like remain, stay in. You're not just attached. You didn't just cry some tears at youth camp once. Like you abided, you remained in me. You walked with me. You depended on me. And I in them, and I remain in you. Those those guys will reproduce much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do, what's that last word? Did somebody tell the self-help section at Barnes and Noble about this? Because I thought I could like pull myself up by my bootstraps. And Jesus is saying, um, who gave you those hands and who gave you those boots? Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Aren't you glad you came to church today? But it's true. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Do you guys hear that? That central image that Jesus gave us? There's a connection to God. Christ, Messiah, is the vine. But it sounds like we're connected to each other if we're all connected to the same vine. The image demands it. And that's weird because, you know, Renault was kind of making up his own Jesus and Kevin was making up his own Jesus that fit his own personal religion and I have my own thoughts. And We kind of act today in the 21st century like there, there are lots of different deities. There are lots of different cool ideas. There are lots of, and Jesus just says, um, one vine, it's me. And it's a truth that is intensely loving and inviting oh, there's only one source of water in this desert. It's me. Please come to me and drink deeply. It's going to not just reconcile you to the Father. It's going to reconcile you to each other. It's both. That's why this whole individual is, and I, I'm, listen, if you're at home, I love you. This, this whole stay at home and I'm going to watch sermons online and that's my church, it has no foundation in the New Testament whatsoever. Actually, it has no foundation in the Old Testament Brothers and sisters, we need each other. The same blood of Jesus Christ that reconciles me to the Father reconciles me to you. And it reconciles you to me. And when we get to heaven, there's going to be a crowd. So this whole individual thing is going to feel weird. There are billions and billions of people here. I thought it was just going to be a continuous Dallas Cowboys touchdown and endless Pepsi. But there's people. And what are they doing? Praising the one with Neil pierced hands. ARCF, connecting and authentic relationships, was what we were about in 1903. It's what we're striving for now. It's what we'll be doing 100 years from now if the Lord allows. This never changes. I've told you guys before that if anything truly new is ever said from this pulpit, we just started a cult. Everything from this pulpit should be 2,000 years old, at a minimum. Note takers, spiritual growth toward Christian maturity must not change. Must not ever change. Oops. Did I do that backwards? I'll read the text now. That's okay. I got it mixed up. That's all right. Look at what's said in... Uh, Mark 9, wait, which point, did I mess up the, I was looking at the wrong point, I'm sorry. Okay, Colossians 2, so this is our brother Paul, first century pastor, 
talking to a church that he helped start. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Is that loaded or what? Right? I gave my heart to Jesus once. Yeah, but what's been happening in the last 10 years? You must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Isn't that similar imagery there? It's organic, it's life-giving, and let your lives be built on him. Now he's mixing his metaphors. See, preachers are allowed to mix their metaphors. I have proof. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. You want your faith to grow strong? You're gonna have to let your roots grow down deep into Christ, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Wow. It seems like there's a process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. It seems that that process involves the Holy Spirit's work in my life. It involves the word of God. It involves the community of faith. It's very similar to the abiding of John 15. Or let me make it blunt. You hear the gospel, you respond in faith saying, absolutely, sign me up, Jesus Christ is Lord. You don't just sit on your laurels and act like you're done at that point. You're not done. You've just begun following Jesus. So spiritual growth is something that is a pursuit of Christian maturity. It's a journey, it's a process, it'll never be fully done until you're in glory. This is my third baby, Abby, on the lovely sand up at Kings Beach, North Shore of Tahoe. She was the cutest girl on the beach. She had a lot of fun. And a big part of her development in this last six or eight weeks, she's realizing through smell, through sight, I don't know what all, people around her are eating some very yummy foods that she wasn't allowed to have. And the words were a little bit blurred, but she uttered something to mama about five or six weeks ago that was something along the lines of, give me steak. Um, I can't say it was exactly. Um, Paul actually uses the imagery in spiritual growth of being an infant who is on milk and making a transition at some point to being able to eat red meat to the glory of God. That's my translation anyway. But Abby only has three teeth. It doesn't stop her from trying. And even when she is able to be a little bit bigger, like my second child, Gabriel, there is a developmental phase where we have gained a taste for steak. And that's not just, that's not a symbol. I'm telling you guys, my father-in-law gave Gabriel tri-tip when he was like 12 months old. Gabriel has never looked back. You can develop a taste for the good things that God has for you, but you still don't necessarily have the ability to hold a fork and to hold a knife to get what you long for. We've had some discussions in our disciple group about hungering and thirsting for more of God and not always knowing how to get what it is we're hungry for. Um, 
I can just tell you, not to sound too secular humanist or too pop psychology, but um, I'm pretty sure that if hunger comes first, you'll find a way, even if you have to ask somebody. There is no journey. If, if the hunger doesn't come first, if my tastes don't change, somebody has got to cut up something beautiful for me and give me a little taste, and my brain goes, woo, hallelujah, that's awesome. Where have you been all my life? Brothers and sisters, what would happen if right now we were all on a vacation together? All of us were like on some island somewhere. And all our needs were met, and we had little bungalows to stay in, and there was a kitchen with yummy food. But we were a community that was kind of locked in, and we had to stay there for an entire summer. It's a beautiful place. Everything's taken care of. But what if only six of us knew how to use a fork and a knife? What would happen? Would it matter that the five-star chef brought out filet? What would we do if six of us knew how to use a fork and a knife? The power dynamics would change fast, that's for sure. We would all be desperately asking these six people to use the fork and the knife, okay? Because I would like to have some. But what if there was some tragic accident? All the airplanes fell out of the sky and we were gonna be on that island as a group for the rest of our lives. Would it shift our approach toward those six people? See, when you're in the long game, you don't ask somebody to cut up your meat for you. In the long game, you say, would you teach me how to use the fork and the knife? This is what's happening sometimes when we're working so hard to find teachers for kids' adventure. We have just a handful of people that know how to use a fork and a knife and are willing to do it to feed those who can't feed themselves. This is where we're at when we're trying to find good facilitators for disciple groups. This is where we're at when <laughs> everyone's highly committed to Bible Day Camp and we go, who's gonna preach at the end of Bible Day Camp when everyone's exhausted, oh my gosh. Now the Lord provided, we're okay. But if the church of Jesus Christ, if we are saved by Jesus and then we are called toward maturity, we're, we're called to start with the pure spiritual milk of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but move on toward deeper things. Not deeper in the sense that they're secret, but that I'm growing up. My body needs different proteins when I'm 16 years old and I'm on the track team than what my body needed when I was eight months old. And how foolish would it look for me to be 22 years old still drinking out of a bottle because nobody taught me how to cut with a fork and a knife, right? ARCF, growing in Christian maturity, it was what we were doing in 1903. It's what we're striving for now. It's what we'll be doing 100 years from now if the Lord allows Third, serving God and others must not change. That must not change. In the summer of 2007, I was working to get a group of 7th through 12th graders to think about somebody other than themselves. 
Sound hard? Yeah, try people in their 40s. Yeah, um, yeah it's hard. We, we're all chiefly interested in ourselves. We all only have our own perspective. We have our own worldview. Um, I said to myself, self, um, one of your best friends is the weekend chaplain at Good News Rescue Mission up in Reading. You should call him and say, hey, Tyler, if I brought a bunch of teenagers to you for a week this summer, could you put them to work? Tyler, after he picked up his jaw off the floor, said, yes, yes, this would be great for teenagers. They need to see this. They need to see what's going on here. They need to see, frankly, that there are multiple paths you can choose when you're young, and if you want to look into the future, you need to hang out with people that have made a decision or two that perhaps you don't want them to make. But yeah, having them serve in the heat of a Reading summer, you know, when hell checks the forecast and goes, should we go to Reading this weekend? Nah, you know, that, that's, that's kind of where Reading is at. Um, we had a fun moment. So there was a bus that the rescue mission had, like a 14-passenger behemoth, and not, it was way too, no one could reach it. You had to get on a ladder to wash the top of it. And it was filthy. It needed to be washed. It was a hot summer afternoon in July. And we had a total of 12 students that had gone with us. And not even 10 feet away from where this bus was parked was the side of one of the rescue mission's buildings, and in there was the TV room. And because it was so hot, it was dark in there, there was no light shining except the TV, and there was air conditioning, you'd go in there. So the other youth pastor, a couple of churches went together. The other youth pastor and I said, okay, we've got an idea. We've got 12 students. I said, hey guys, everybody, this bus needs to get washed, squeaky clean, we know it's hot, it's hard work, but we're here to serve. This is not about us, this is good for the soul. I need six volunteers to wash this bus. Two or three hands shot up immediately. That just sounded like fun, even though it was probably 105 that day. And we had to work, and come on, come on, to get to the fifth hand and then to the sixth hand. And then when all six volunteers were in place, we said, all right, you six volunteers, please go inside to the air conditioning and watch television. The other six are going to wash the van. <laughs> because I'm shady. And, and that's what we did that day. You know why? Because the last will be first. And I'm evil. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we've got to serve because God is worthy. He deserves to get what he wants when he tells us to take care of the least of these. He, gets, he needs to get what he deserves when he says your spiritual gifts are to the strengthening of the church. Your brothers and sisters need to be strengthened through this. That's what I gave you, it to you for. And, and how does the church of the next generation know service unless they watch us serve? Anybody heard that phrase? More is caught than is taught. As a church, as a whole, I think you guys actually do a very good job of leading by example. More of us need to step up. More of us need to grow in maturity in this way of service. But I think we're, we're not doing bad. We're not doing bad at all. Jesus, in Mark 9, 
After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? Isn't it funny when someone who's omniscient asks you a question like he doesn't know? (laughs) Jesus has a sense of humor. But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. (laughs) Oh, guys, we got to learn how to study our Bible so we can laugh. They're hanging out with the creator of the universe going, I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. He made Saturn with his words, and you're like, I'm awesome. So they don't want to answer because they got caught. They're talking about something stupid. He says, what were you guys discussing on the road? He sat down, so this is the position of teaching, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Does that sound upside down and backwards? From, from the way the world works? In a different text, Jesus said, leadership amongst you, they lord it over one another. That's how they do it in the world. It's not gonna be that way amongst you. And it wasn't a suggestion, it was a command. You're gonna be my followers, this is not how leadership's gonna work. You're gonna be the servant of everyone around you. ARCF. Serving God and others was what we were doing in 1903. It's what we're striving for now. It's what we'll be doing 100 years from now if the Lord allows. Service never changes. Humility, it's never supposed to change. Blessing others, never supposed to change. Fourth, going to tell people about Jesus must not change. When God planted us, we had a passion to reach the lost of Roseville where we started. God has kept our lampstand in place because we still have a passion to reach the lost. We need to blow oxygen onto that flame. And if the Lord still has us here 100 years from now, if he's not returned, we must always be about making sure every created one knows his or her creator. Because This is how God designed life to be. Being divorced from my creator is not fun. It's my position in the world until we're reconciled by Jesus' blood. This isn't how he built it to work. Look at what Jesus says right before he ascends into heaven. The apostles were with Jesus. They kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? This is another good place to chuckle. He just defeated Satan's sin and death on his cross and through his resurrection. Um, Are you going to free Israel now? So that whole cross thing, guys, I just just did whatever. Okay. I am exhausted. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to deal with you folks. I'm out of here. Restore Israel. Restore our kingdom. What? Jesus just inherited an unbelievable throne because of his cross and because of his resurrection. Our kingdom? You mean my kingdom? (laughs) Whose kingdom is this? (laughs) He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know. Ouch. Ouch. 
Growing up, we called this nanya. Nanya business. That's, that's really tough in a 24-hour news media cycle. I, I get sucked into this belief that I have to know everything. And then God comes along. And he says, trust me. And he says, why don't you obey the last thing I told you? These things are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will think about praying about considering forming a committee to decide whether or not maybe you will testify to who I am to the whole world. Did I read that right? No? Oh, man. I knew third grade was hard. Um, Let me try it again. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, where you are now, throughout Judea, same culture, but a little bit of geographical difference. In Samaria, religious and cultural and ethnic differences. And to the ends of the earth. Did he say you might be my witnesses? See, my life testifies to something about Jesus Christ whether I'm paying attention or not. It's, it, my life's gonna testify something. Is it gonna be truth? Is my life telling people around me true things about Jesus or false things? That's one reason I don't do Christian bumper stickers. I don't need people judging Jesus by my poor driving. (laughs) Everything that we do, those of you who love Christ, everything that we do, and especially what we say about our creator, about humanity, All of these things testify. Even our silence testifies. I'm going to smile and plant trees alongside you and never tell you that the blood of Jesus washes away sin. I am effectively telling you that God is totally fine with you the way that you are. He's comfortable leaving you dead in your sin. That's what I say. That's, That's what I'm telling you. God's totally fine with where you're at right now, floating face down in the water, He's not a God who loves and saves and who will pull you out of the water and raise you from the dead. No. Your your things are fine the way they are. Our silence tells lies to our brothers and sisters who don't know Christ, our father who doesn't know Christ, our daughter who doesn't know Christ, our neighbor who doesn't know Christ. My silence is screaming loudly that everything is fine, don't worry. Go back to sleep. Everything's fine. But was that the spirit of this church in 1903? If we didn't care about people knowing their Savior in 1903, would we have been here in 1904? God's an incredible steward. I think he knows how to yank a lampstand when he needs to. If we're not going to love the people around us as much as he does, or even try to love people around us as much as he does, why would he even have a church here, right? I think that we're still here because we have had saints that loved God and loved people.
And they raised up a generation that loved God and loved people, who raised up a generation that loved God and loved people. Brothers and sisters, I think that's why we're still here. We were Citrus, we were Church of God Roseville. We loved God and we loved people. We were Church of God Citrus Heights. We loved God and we loved people. We've been Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We love God and we love people. And if you change our name to something else this afternoon and we stop loving God and loving people, did the name change do us any good? We, we know what we ought to be doing. We know who we are. The book is 2,000 years old, folks. The instruction manual is two millennia old. And it is to our joy and it is to our blessing every time we open it and it reads us. We know who we are. ARCF, going to tell people about Jesus was what we were in 1903. It's what we're striving for now. It's what we'll be doing in 100 years if the Lord allows. Our brother Mark Clark He's a pastor of a church in a suburb of Vancouver, BC. They planted Village Church, now I'm gonna say about 15 years ago. And however hard you think it is to start a church from scratch and get to 1,100 people here in the US, in Canada, just put a times three behind it. The secularization, the secularization of the culture. So for the Village Church to have over 1,100 people in it, 600 of them coming to Christ in the ministry of that church being baptized in, like, wow, right? So people coming and knowing their Savior. They had some kind of an event about three years ago where they were at a park and Pastor Mark was preaching at the event. And so they have a bunch of people out on the lawn and he is preaching from the Bible And one of their deacons, who's just clearly got a heart for people, I I heard this story and I I thought of Conrad because he would totally do this. He sees all the people that are listening to the sermon, but his heart is for the one that's wandered away. And he sees a guy standing by the pond fishing pretty close to where the group is. And he leaves from where the, the, the church is and he goes over and stands next to the guy so that's some controversial stuff there you know what do you think and the guy breaks into tears talking to a man who's a total stranger who just walked up and he says I I don't even know how to fish I just brought this fishing pole so I could stand here and listen Brothers and sisters, our God is bigger than the darkness of the culture. He always has been. He was bigger than the darkness of Pharaoh. He was bigger than the darkness of Nebuchadnezzar. He was bigger than the darkness of Herod. He is bigger than all the statistics now about how many people don't want to follow Christ. He is bigger. He makes grown men pretend to fish because they want to hear the gospel so desperately. It kind of doesn't even matter how dark the darkness gets because when the light shows up, it all looks the same. 
We told people about Jesus in 1903, and we're aspiring to that now, and we'll be doing it in 100 years if the Lord allows. Lord Jesus, would you please make us the church that you want us to be? Jesus, make your name famous and beautiful and precious, not a swear word. Redeem your name amongst those of us in the room who don't know you yet. Those watching online who might not know you yet. God, we've got friends, we've got family members, we've got coworkers who don't know you yet. Make your name beautiful and attractive and powerful to these friends of ours, these family members of ours. Continue, God, through your word to tell us who we are, to tell us what we are. Show us how to be about our Father's business. God, we thank you for all that we've inherited right now in 2021, but frankly, what we're enjoying right now is from the hard work of saints that have gone before us. They have prayed faith-filled prayers, and that's why we're here. They've taught the word of God fearlessly, and that's why we're here. They've reached out to the lost, and that's why we're here. They've taken holiness seriously, and that's why we're here. We didn't walk away from the faith when we were 17. God, please help us to choose first and foremost to honor you. But secondly, would you help us to respond to the challenge of the generations before us? Would you help us to learn the lessons of those who have been faithful? Would you help us to look at the example of those who have finished well and left a spiritual inheritance to us? God, make us a faithful people. We ask for this grace in the strong name of Jesus Christ, God's people said.